Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week we will be continuing our recap of season three of Avatar The Last Airbender with episodes 312, The Western Air Temple, and 313, The Firebending Masters. As always, potential spoiler warning for both Avatarverse TV shows, the Kiyoshi novels, Katara and the Pirate Silver, and Suki Alone. Before we get into the news of the recap, Kayla, how are you doing this week? What's going on? Pretty good, actually. Like, I'm not without a note of sarcasm on this. Like, <laughs> things are going pretty well in my life right now, you know. Um, you know, I started dating and things are going well in that department. So, you know. Yay! Yay! Love when that happens. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, before we started recording, um, Andre and I were talking about Eternals. Uh, the new Marvel movie that just came out and like now because we talked about it I want to go see it this weekend so mm-hmm. by this weekend I mean at the time of this recording it's this weekend by the time this comes out I probably will have seen it already so yeah definitely but, yeah things things are good how about you things have also been pretty good for me um this past this past week was kind of crazy because um I was in rehearsals for this um like sort of concert that my community theater is putting on um, it's called All Together Now, and it's produced by MTI, Music Theater International, who uh, is like the main publisher for a lot of um, Broadway shows. But they essentially put this concert together to basically help support theater. And, um, you know, because a lot of like community theaters and high schools and colleges, they haven't been able to do theater for the past 18 months. And um, they're in therefore have lost a lot of their funding and a lot of money and are not able to afford a full season of shows anymore. So, um, so yeah, it's basically a, a fundraiser concert, but I'm extremely excited for it. It opens tonight. Um, and yeah, I'm like get mentally preparing for that after we, we get off the air. Cause it's the first time I've ever, I've ever done anything like on the stage. I'm usually like behind the scenes, either like music directing or like playing in the orchestra. I'm never actually on the stage. Ooh. So we'll see how that goes. That's exciting. Yay for live music and live theater coming back. Like Yes, yes. It's been it's been really fun. Um and a big plus too is that everyone in the cast and the crew is fully vaccinated. Yay. Um so lar- we largely did not have to wear masks during rehearsals and that That's was like good. really nice. And also like kids are getting vaccinated now. Like uh I coach is one of my other many jobs and like some of the kids are like I'm going to get vaccinated this week and I'm just so happy the kids can get vaccinated now. Yeah. Just, like it just makes me feel so much better. Like same, you same. know. I'm waiting to to get uh, my booster. I don't know when I can get that. I think yeah. I'm, I'm trying to wait. I'm trying to get more information on that myself. I'm like, I think I should be getting it pretty soon, like December maybe. Yeah, I think, I think I they're saw. still in the process of like, um, like, mm, like approving it or something. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it's like you have to get it like after six months of your second dose. Mm-hmm. Um, which already passed for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready to get that. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, another uh, another personal news. My boyfriend got me this mug, which I will now be using for every single recording. What is it? <gasps> I love it. That's it's an so- Avatar mug. For our audio listeners, just an Avatar mug. And on the back, it's got this really cool art of the gang. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm trying, I love not, it. trying not to get the glare. <laughs> so it's the, it's is it the season one gang where it's just... Yeah, it looks uh, like it. Okay. Yeah. That's still cool, though. Yeah, I love them. Like, okay, the only Avatar merch that I actually have is my eyebrow sticker that I have on my computer that I got from getting my Kyoshi earrings. 
So those are the only two like bits of Avatar merchandise that I actually have. <laughs> so well, listeners, you heard it here first. If you want to send Kayla um, some Avatar merch, um, hit us up on Early our Christmas present <laughs> socials, and she'll give you her her address. Um, hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh er- yeah early Christmas bonus for sure. Exactly. Um, cool. Oh All right. Let's get into the news. We just have one small item here. Um, Daniel Day Kim, who was recently cast as Firelord Ozai, uh, posted a photo of him in the makeup department getting a wig on for his Ozai fitting. The caption just kind of said, like, prep has begun or something like that. Which leads me to my question. Do we think this is just like a kind of like a test fitting or do we think like shooting is like starting kind of soon? Well, I mean, it makes sense if shooting starting soon if they're testing things out with mm-hmm. like makeup and hair and things like that. So it's both. Um, so I think I'm going to have to say yes. He's going to be yes that shooting's going to start soon, and yes that he will be appearing in season one. Because why the fuck would he be trying on wigs and doing all that stuff if he wasn't going to show up? And I know we talked about it a little bit last week, and I think I landed on like I'm okay with him like showing up in season one if it's like if they do it really well and it's for a good reason. Yeah. Which will remain to be seen. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's really exciting. Um, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of news. We're still in a little bit of a news drought. It's it's the fourth quarter, so things are like slowing down a lot in terms of like production and stuff. Yeah, but also like, here's the thing, whenever it starts to like, the news starts to dry up, then like, it's only a matter of time before there's like a sudden outpouring of news. Like, yes. it's just this very stark, like sharp lined, like, line graph mm-hmm. of just like lots of news no news lots of news no news like it's especially this podcast because we're only looking for news about a very very specific topic and yeah. sometimes we just don't have any i one of the on our avatar instagram i scroll through it sometimes because we follow a lot of cool like fan creators mm-hmm. one of them photoshopped an announcement of a casting for azula and I was like, oh my God, is this a thing? And then I went I went and scoured and there was nothing. And I looked in the comments and it was like, no, bestie, don't do this. And I'm just yeah, like, oh my God. Good. Good. Because like, I was I was like a second away from like just like putting it on our story. And I was like, wait a minute. So I, <laughs> I went thinking, and checked. <laughs> good, good for you for being a critical thinker and, you know, reassessing it. Good. Yeah, that wouldn't look good, especially after our like our <laughs> sermons about several, several different sermons about misinformation and being critical of what you're consuming. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to look it up, just look in the comments, because usually if it's fake, people are like, no, why would you do this? Yeah. And it was a good casting, too. So I was really disappointed. <sighs> well, you never know. Oh, well, Hmm. we'll say we'll keep our ear to the ground on that. But until then, let's dive into our recap. So we're going to start with 312, the Western Air Temple. So we've essentially begun the second half of season three. It's crazy. Yeah. And we only have, I think, like nine more episodes to go before we finish. Yeah. Actually, I I literally just looked up the like the, the entire list of the like all the episodes. That's yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's seven. I can't be right. Are you looking on Netflix? I'm looking. I'm looking just in general at the uh, season. It's like I literally just looked up like Avatar season three episodes. So oh, sometimes they put together the Boiling Rock oh, as one right. episode, well, and sometimes look- Susan's Comet as one giant episode. That's how they do it on Netflix. It's just oh, one giant that's right. episode. Cause, yeah, because we did that. Okay, fine. But like, just based on the segments. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just be, yeah. Yeah. We're almost done. We're almost done. All right, so let's talk about it. After the failed invasion, the gang travels to the Western Air Temple, and when they find it, we see that the temple is built on the underside of a cliff. 
I distinctly remember watching this episode when it first came out, and I was like completely gobsmacked by how cool this looks. It's so I forgot how cool this looks. I forgot that it was upside, like that everything was like upside down, like mm-hmm. that. I forgot about that. So cool to rediscover that. And I like that it's like a a giant stark contrast from the other air temples because the other air temples like largely look about the same. Yeah, but this one is like it's extremely different. And I wonder what the reason for it being built upside down is if there is a reason like i'm not sure because it seems like the the temples all sort of like maybe specialize in a different kind of service i think yeah because they told ang that he would be sent to the eastern air temple to finish his training granted that was because he could get away from gyatso but but i wonder if uh, maybe that all the different temples have like a specific set of archives about this one thing or they have mm. certain relics of Avatar's past or just Airbender's past. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Like, what what different things do those temples, like, sort of provide, you know? Mm, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Mm. Meanwhile, Zuko, who has followed the group from the evasion in his war balloon, arrives first and descends into the temple. And we get this flashback um, of the last time he was at that temple which was a week after his banishment. And uh, it's just him and Iroh. And he's like literally freshly scarred. Like he still has the bandage over his eye and everything. Um, And Zuko says that he is going to scour the world for the Avatar if it's the last thing he does. And he calls Iroh lazy when he suggests that he rest. And this is like part one of a two-part flashback that we get near the end of the, the episode. But... You know, Zuko's kind of shaken out of his memory because uh, he sees Appa fly overhead and he runs off to hide, uh, making camp near the temple in a wooded area. And he later practices to a badger frog his speech to convince Team Avatar Team Avatar to accept him as Aang's firebending teacher. Hello, Zuko here. Like, yeah, <laughs> which is like probably the most memorable next to that's rough buddy. I think that's I think that's the most memorable next to that. I also like one of the things that makes it hard for me to watch shows sometimes is that I suffer from secondhand embarrassment very mm. easily. Like sometimes I straight up have to skip. Like I, I didn't even notice that I do this until I was, did a Netflix party with a friend where an embarrassing moment came up from one of the characters. I literally had to skip ahead because I couldn't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes my brother and I quote that all the time, even though we both hate the scene because we both get very strong secondhand embarrassment. But like we just. We did. We just both be like, "Hello, Zuko here." Like- it's so. And props to Dante Bosco for uh, like his his line reading here because it's just it's so awkwardly funny. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because Zuko is like it has never learned in his life how to make friends, how to socialize with people his age, how to do anything normally. As we saw in the beach episode that like yeah. he and the rest of his group just don't know how to socialize with other people. The beach episode, the Tales of Bossing State episode where he goes on a date. Like he has yeah. no, no social skills at all. Bless his heart. <laughs> bless his bless his little firebender heart. And also like it kind of reminds me of like a, like a job, like pre- prepping for a job interview when you're talking like literally prep your talking points and stuff. I also want to uh, make a comment on his impersonations <laughs> of like the people in his life, like how they would handle the situation. Like even though, like he says, he's not he's not good at impersonations. <laughs> but the fact that, like, because Dante Bosco has a very distinct voice, but the fact that he managed to get the mannerisms uh-huh. of Azula and uh, Uncle Iroh down is really impressive. Yeah, no, it's like it, they're both very accurate. <laughs> yes, like, and I love what Zuko says. Like even when I'm impersonating him, I don't know what he means or something like that. 
Like that's like, so that's really funny. Oh God, bless him, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> so while Teo, Haru, and the Duke explore the temple, the gang discusses what the next step in their plan is. Sokka suggests that since the attempt at a shorter route to winning the war has failed, they should revert to their old plan of Aang mastering all four elements and facing Ozai before Sosin's comet arrives. Aang is admittedly less than thrilled at this idea, um, saying that they have no idea where to fire, find a firebending teacher. Um, Katara says, what about Zhang Zhang? And Aang's like, oh yeah, I'm sure we'll run into Zhang Zhang soon. And I'm just like, <laughs> buddy. Um, Eyebrow raises. Yeah. <laughs> the people who don't have Patreon. <laughs> In classic airbender fashion, he's just like, well, I guess we can't do anything now. Let's go avoid all of our problems. And yes. so he, yeah, he just runs away. He's exploring the temple on his glider, um, which also makes me wonder if Aang has ever been to the Western Air Temple. I don't know. Um, hmm. Maybe he has, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess he'd have to be because how else would he be able to find it? I don't know. Yeah, that makes um, sense. <clears throat> the others follow him on Appa, trying to convince him to stop and continue the discussion. They land and find that Zuko has appeared before them with the classic, hello, Zuko here. And it just cuts to black. <laughs> um, the group prepares to attack him and refuses to put trust in anything he says. Appa, on the other hand, happily greets Zuko by licking his face, much to Aang's surprise. Zuko tries to explain that he has changed for the better and wants to teach Aang firebending. To try and get on their good side, Zuko reveals that it was he who freed Appa from his imprisonment in Ba Sing Se, but no one except Toph believes him. Zuko continues to apologize and digs a deeper hole and accidentally reveals that he was the one <clears throat> who hired Combustion Man to kill them. Who knew that Zuko was so good at earthbending because he just made himself, <laughs> just burned himself in a hole that yeah. way. Oh, boy. God. Uh, hearing this, the gang refuses to allow Zuko into their group, threatening to attack him if he does not leave immediately. Zuko tries to offer himself as prisoner, which I'm not sure how he was going to uh, go forward that way. Um, yeah. But Katara attacks him and tells him to never come back. So things aren't looking great for Zuko. But I do like that, again, so many other more average TV shows would have just been like, yeah, because it's like good TV to see like the villain team up with the heroes, right? But no, the writer's like, no, we're going to make this hard for everybody. Because, of course, they wouldn't immediately accept Zuko into their group after, like... Because they didn't see, like, Zuko alone. That We did. They didn't see, like, exactly. all the development that we have. Exactly. So many shows get into this trap of, well, it makes sense because the audience has seen it, but they don't take the perspective of the actual characters. So, suddenly, the characters know so many more things that they should, which just makes it, like, not great TV to watch. Like it just completely takes you out of it. But I like that that the the like the central struggle of this episode is the gang not trusting Zuko because it's the most logical and realistic step to take exactly, with the story. And rightfully so, especially Katara's reaction because she took a chance on him once. She really did. Yeah. She trust she let her guard down and trusted him. And then he ended up stabbing them on the back with his decision at in Bossing Say. Exactly. So like her especially cold, you know, demeanor towards Zuko makes absolute sense. Mm -hmm. You know? Like it's amazing how far consistency can get you in a TV show. Like mm -hmm. it's as long as the characters are consistent, you have a really strong foundation. And I like that even though Zuko is accepted by the end of the episode. 
there's still a tinge of of distrust in Katara. You oh know? yeah, I mean, she goes with she's like hey, she says to him at the end that like, hey, I'll go with whatever you think is right, which is you know says quite a lot about how she's really feeling right now. Exactly, and, and of course, what she says at the end of the episode to Zuko. Yeah, it not only like makes the dynamic of the new group more interesting, but it again stays true to Katara's character. You know, at the same time, I don't know. I think the the scene with them in the cave was a giant factor. I still don't know. Even without that, I don't know if Katara still would have like accepted him like the others would have. You yeah. know, um, I just think now she has like a really good reason not to. You know, yeah, and but, she's a better reason than the rest. Exactly. You know, because, so yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, I was gonna say because she spent more time with Zuko on a vulnerable level than the rest of the group. Right. Even Aang. So after Zuko leaves, Sokka and Katara ponder, like, like, what's the motive here? Um, And they decide that he just can't be trusted. Um, Aang has more trouble sort of getting on board with that because he tells them of the time Zuko risked his life as a blue spirit to rescue him from Zhao. But Katara was like, well, yeah, but that was to capture you. (laughs) Like, he might have saved you, but it was doing it, he was doing it so he could capture you. But Toph interjects, however, that she sensed Zuko was being sincere and honest the whole time and believes that others are letting their hurt feelings affect their judgment. Frustrated at the group's continued prejudice, Toph leaves the temple, saying that she wonders who is really the blind one in the team. And I think it's not only the fact that she can tell if Zuko's lying or not, but we also remember that scene she had with Iroh. And exactly. how how he like profusely gushed about Zuko the whole time he was with Toph. Like, he still believes in, in that, you know, Iris still believes in him, but he'll find his way and exactly. all that stuff. So she had that, but the other characters didn't. Exactly. It's, I, I mean, again, it just makes complete sense. And there's even a moment where Toph is like, wait, who's Zhao? Oh, never mind. I, if it's important, I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I really like that. Um, while sleeping in his tent, Zuko hears someone come through the bushes and it turns out to be Toph. But unable to see in the darkness, Zuko immediately firebends at her. Um, she tries to defend herself, but the soles of her feet get burned. Um, and Zuko realizes who she is and tries to apologize, pleading with her to come back. And then Zuko shouts in frustration, why am I so bad at being good? Oh. Bless his heart. Um, Bless his little heart. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, Toph makes her way back to the group, injured. Uh, she admits that she went to visit Zuko the previous night. As Katara begins to heal her feet, she explains that it, was an, that it was an accident, but everyone else ignores her and calls Zuko a serious threat, and they start to put like put together a plan to capture him and take him prisoner. And Sokka's plan is, well, he said he would take he would be prisoner already. Let's say we're going to take him as prisoner and then actually take him as prisoner. He's so Solid smart, plan. but so dumb sometimes, and I love it. <laughs> Solid plan, Sokka. Very good. Good job, buddy. Same guy came up with a brilliant invasion plan as this okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> meanwhile on the cliff above combustion man da, 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 appears on a higher ledge of the temple and prepares to attack the group zuko arrives tarzan style and prevents him from getting a clear shot at the gang redirecting his attack and alarming the others below um yeah so combustion man is here great <laughs> But you do get to see the gang, like the gang does get to see Zuko trying to prevent Combustion Man from attacking them even further. Mm. You know, like he, you see, you see, he literally gets in front of him, like trying to stop him. Yeah. Uh, so, 
that's a pretty important moment for their relationship for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, they find cover while Zuko tries to prevent the assassin from attacking them further. Um, Combustion Man instead turns on Zuko and blasts him over the edge of the temple. And this is where I'm just like, why? Like, uh, like why? <laughs> if he's like a bounty hunter and the guy's like, I'm calling it off, but I'll still pay you or I'll pay you double to stop. Why does he keep going? Do you think yeah. he has like his own feelings about like the avatar and stuff like that? I Probably. mean, because he technically is a firebender. So I don't know if he has any loyalty, actual loyalty to the Fire Nation. I don't know. And we just don't know like a whole lot. It's just, so, it's just a lot we don't know about him. Yeah. Um, Aang and Katara try to use their bending to counter counterattack Combustion Man, but they're ultimately useless against his explosions. Sokka estimates Combustion Man's position based on the angles of the explosions, and he throws his boomerang, curving it around a corner where it hits Combustion Man square on the forehead, and his block chi causes the air around him to explode violently, and the only thing left of Combustion Man is his metal arm. Yikes. Yeah. So, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's not quite as bad as Pili's death in mm. Korra, but I forgot how brutal that is. I'm like, oh, it's, shit. It's still pretty brutal, yeah. Yeah. Oof. So Aang thanks nice. Zuko for saving them, and Zuko tries to reconcile his past meeting with the group. He admits that he was wrong and says he has learned from his banishment that he must earn his honor by doing the right thing. He tells them he wants to play his part in ending the war and that his destiny is to help Aang restore balance to the world. He apologizes for burning Toph, stating that fire is dangerous, is a dangerous and wild element, and that he must control his bending so that he does not hurt others unintentionally again. This resonates with Aang of the time that he burned Katara because he wasn't careful with fire. And Aang decides to accept Zuko into the group as his teacher, but only if the others agree. I like I love that part where he's like, I, I would like you to teach me, but I want to see if it's okay with my friends first. Like exactly. Oh, man. So Toph says that she accepts Zuko so that she can get back at him for burning her feet, while Sokka accepts him only to help their plan of defeating the Fire Lord. Katara reluctantly agrees, only because it is what Aang believes is right. Zuko promises not to let the group down. Zuko takes out a picture of Iroh and fondly remembers his uncle's advice about destiny. As long as he keeps his heart open, he will one day find it. Katara appears in the doorway and confronts Zuko. She warns him that while he may have the others convinced, they both know that this is not the first time he has struggled to do the right thing. She makes a very, very, very clear threat that should Zuko make any mistake, a step back, or give her any reason to make her think he would hurt Aang, she will not hesitate to put an end to his destiny permanently. She departs, leaving a visibly disturbed Zuko alone to ponder her threatening words. And that's the end of the episode. I also want to point out that later with the Southern Raiders episode, like he's, you probably think of something, oh my God, she was not kidding. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's really interesting to end the episode like this. <laughs> um, it's like a lot more ominous than what you would expect. Cause I mean, Zuko joining yeah. the group, that's a great thing. Right. But there's, there's still not a hundred percent of everyone on board just yet. Yeah. So, but I think that's, that's a but really that's interesting realistic. way. Realistic, yes, you know, very in character for Katara. Um, so and I don't blame her, yeah, I don't don't blame blame her one bit, considering how much that, like, and also we really see how much like Zuko's choice in Bossing Say really affected her, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, we obviously saw 
that her reaction in that episode, but I don't think that's been touched upon, like how she felt when Zuko turned, you know? Oh, like, no, no. We, yeah, I don't we think we've haven't... seen anything in the previous episodes about that. So you really get to see exactly how much like Zuko's decision had impacted her personally on an emotional level. Uh, oh, well, sure. I mean, especially in like the midst of war. I mean, the person you you put your trust into, like that's a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if if Katara like put 100 percent of her trust in Zuko, but she trusted him enough to let herself be vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. And that's hard. Vulnerability is hard. It is hard. So, and she got burned, like, you know, literally. literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but it's we it's really interesting. Reference. And it's, it's it's also interesting to see how, like, this this dynamic keeps, like, popping up through the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, before we get into the next recap, we're going to take a quick break and we will see you after then. Hey, everyone. Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back with more recapping of season three of Avatar The Last Airbender with 313, the Firebending Masters, aka the Dragon Episode. Yes. So it is Aang and Zuko's first firebending lesson together. And Zuko reminds him to not be nervous about firebending, but then proceeds to essentially list why he should be nervous about firebending. Uh, Aang manages to produce a little bit of smoke, but then asks Zuko to demonstrate his firebending to, you know, get a visual depiction and he also has a hard time firebending uh he only is able to produce small bursts of flame at a time and Mm. even after going to a lower altitude it still doesn't help him uh so that night over the campfire zuko admits that he lost his firebending katara then's like you know kind of like cold sarcastic yeah yeah cold and sarcastic towards him uh again just we know how they stand now. Mm. Uh, Aang then theorizes that he doesn't have the same rage that he used to fuel, you know, used to fuel his firebending with. And then Sokka then uses this as an excuse to piss <laughs> off Zuko and just starts poking him. Like, <laughs> love it, love it. And like, also, like you refer, like, like Sokka referred to like what they were doing as jerk bending, and just, mm. just very like sibling esque already. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, the sibling dynamic is strong. Oh my god, yes. Because isn't Zuko technically the oldest of the group now? Yes, I think he is. Save, or, I, well, save her, like, Haru. I think Haru is, like, older than all of yeah. them. Yeah, but, like, is it, like, in the core gang? In the core gang, yeah. 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 He's literally, <laughs> he's now literally the father of the group. Which I have a post about that that I definitely want to talk about, like, maybe, like, in future episodes mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. like, the new dynamic that's forming here. Um, but Zuko then says that he doesn't want to rely on anger and hatred to fuel his fire anymore. So then Toph suggests that he pulls from a new source, uh, the original source of firebending, to be exact. And then she there's a bit of a flashback. She talks about how she learned earthbending from the Badramoles. She tells them how she ran away from home one day and hid in a cave where she met the Badramoles. They connected because they were both blind. And she learned from you know their movements. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't just about fighting. It was an extension you know, it's how they moved and interacted with the world. Right. Uh, we, we again see bending for the 50th time as not just a martial art, an act of self-defense, but it's also an extension of oneself. Yeah. So then Aang points out that Air Bison were the original airbenders. And then Zuka says, well, it's impossible to find the original source of firebending because they were dragons and they're extinct now. 
Zuko then remembers that the Sun Warriors were the first to learn firebending from the dragons and suggests learning from the ruins of their society because it died out thousands of years ago. Zuko and Aang then take Appa, and Aang tries to get Zuko into a more positive attitude. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, they then arrive at the ruins and track and ruins. I say that very with air quotes. Yeah, it's not. Um, and then trigger Indiana Jones style booby traps as they enter mm. the area. Yeah, I'm sure the writers had a lot of fun with this one. Oh, absolutely. And then I also I love that like, like Aang's like, oh, I'm not sure about this anymore. Like there's should be there's definitely more traps and stuff. And then Aang's like, and, and Zuko turns and's like, where's that positive attitude you're just talking about? <laughs> yeah. I just love their dynamic in this episode. Like yeah. man, I've been starved for this like good Aang Zuko content. Like <laughs> after encountering a mural of the dragons and the sun warriors, Aang then asks Zuko what happened to the dragons because he didn't actually tell him. And Zuko reveals that Sozin had started the tradition of killing dragons for the glory of earning the title of dragon. Because of course and he the, did. Of course, because Sozin is the fucking worst. And the last person to kill, like the last person to kill the last living dragon was Iroh. So and did Sozin he... kill his own dragon? Huh, that is a good question. Did he? I don't know. Huh. Did he earn the title of dragon after he left like Roku and his dragon to die? I guess. I guess. When when did this tradition start? I need a Good. time frame. Yeah, we need <laughs> Avatar Studios. Take notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So while they're exploring more of the civilization, they come across a door with a celestial calendar, which uses sunlight to open the door during the suns the during the solstice mm-hmm. using a sunstone, like the fire so temples. Exactly. Yeah. Like and the last and I think they do comment that like the architecture of the civilization is similar to what like is probably where the sages base their temples off of. Yeah. Um, Zuko then uses his sword to reflect the light into the sunstone and opens the door. Yeah, and, and there's a, a yeah. moment here where Aang was like, I don't care what anybody says, Zuko, you're actually pretty pretty smart or something. And then Zuko looks like directly he's, into like, the camera. Like, at, first, at first he's like, oh, that's really nice. And he's like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, that's he, a read. <laughs> but it's the way he looks into the camera and smiles. He's like, it's so wholesome. And then, and then, and then, and then, all of a sudden, his face goes like, "Oh, like yeah. that was, was that a read?" <laughs> <laughs> the library is open. <laughs> oh my god! So inside, they find statues depicting a firebending form called the Dancing Dragon. Aang then realizes that imitating the stances of the statues does something to unlock the tiles below, and they do the Dancing Dragon together. And and the ultimate bro fist, some people have referred to it as, oh a final like position. <laughs> um, and yeah, it works. They unlock this golden egg and, you know, Zuko goes to touch it. And it's like, again, Indiana Jones thing here happening. Yeah. And Aang tries to tell him not to. And then Zuko's like, no, I'll just do it. And he just picks it up and reveals another trap of this glue-like tar substance. And the room becomes filled with it, trapping them to a grate on the roof. And then the next part... <laughs> <laughs> Were you trying to say something? I don't want to like interrupt your. No, I was just going to say there's uh, when Zuka picks it up, he says that like it it's feels like it's alive. alive. Yeah. And I think are we mentioning this is like a dragon egg? And if so, is this the dragon that Zuko eventually has in Korra? I think so. You think so? I think so. Yeah. That would make sense. Uh, and then Aang freezes, like they, and they're just like, okay, let's just be patient and just see what happens. And then like night falls and nothing's happened. They're still stuck. And then Aang's like, you had to pick up the golden egg now, didn't you? And like, they then try to think their way out. Like Aang tries yelling for help and he's like, who's going to hear you? We're, 
what's what's that going to do? He's like, well, what do you suggest we do? And then he's like, think about our place in the universe. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, Zuko has changed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, then plot twist. The Sun Warriors are actually alive. And Zuko and Aang are then pulled out of the glue and cleaned up a little bit. The leader then tells them that they'll be severely punished for trying to take their sunstone. Zuko then tells them that they're here to find the original source of firebending, and Aang pulls out the old Avatar card. He's like, I usually don't do this, but uh, I'm the Avatar. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, Zuko then pleads their case and basically humbles himself before them. Like, you know, he he you know knows about the sins of the past and that his family and the Fire Nation had committed against their civilization and the dragons and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, good to see him doing that, you know. Um, the leader of the Sun Warriors then tells them that they will need to meet with the masters, Ran and Shaw, who would then examine and essentially read their minds and souls. And if they don't like what they'll what they see, they'll destroy Aang and Zuko. But if they like them, they'll teach them firebending. Mm. Great. Love that. Mm. Uh yeah. Hmm. The next morning, the sun the, the sorry, let's try that again. The next morning, the chief of the Sun Warriors tells them to take a piece of the eternal flame which was the like first bit of fire that the dragons had given to humans. And the fire had been going for years, mm-hmm. like for literally thousands of years. Aang then nervously accepts the fire, but once he has it, he points out that it's not it, that it's like a little heartbeat, to which the Sun Warrior Chief points out that fire is life, not just destruction. Mm, yeah, this is like the first like philosophical point made about like firebending and stuff that I, I really, really like. I love it, yeah. They then carry their flames up to the mountain where the, the well, we know they're dragons, but they don't know they're dragons yet, but where the masters are. And, you know, Zuko manages to actually be like an encouraging, like, traveling buddy. You know, he says like, you know, you're a smart kid. Like, you can do this. Like, you can keep the fire going. Like, don't mm-hmm. be afraid of it. Yeah. And I'm like, look at that. I love that. Um, and, you know, it helps them a little bit. But when they, by sunset, they reach the mountain. The chief then at sunset. Is it sunset? I don't know. I can't tell. I I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, They reach the mountain and the chief points out the dragon that the masters, you know, they're dragons, but they're not. They all know this at this point. Mm -hmm. They would not be happy to see Zuko because his ancestors being responsible for wiping out the dragons. And then Aang's like, well, they might be happy to see me because I'm the avatar. And he's like, well, you vanished for like a hundred years. So they might not be happy to see you either (laughs) because you also kind of have a role in the dragons disappearing. And he's like, Mm. well, fuck. Uh, The ceremony begins. Aang wants to leave, but Zuko says that they need to see things through. I mean, we're the fire prince and the avatar. Like, I think we can handle ourselves here. Also, this uh, is this is like classic airbender, firebender dynamic. Because Aang, this is like the second time Aang's like, what if we just leave? And then Zuko's yeah. like, no, we have to see it through. Exactly. I love that. Um, well, then the end credit scene, like the end credit song starts playing, like the <laughs> yeah. drum that we hear at the end of the, each episode. Mm-hmm. And the boys climb up to the caves of the two masters. Aang then loses his fire because of his fear. And after trying to get some of Zuko's fire, they both lose their offerings to the masters because fucking typical. <laughs> literally like big sibling, little sibling energy. And I just love it. I love that this is the, this is where they decide to take like their relationship like they're friends but they're also like literally just like bickering brothers yeah it's perfect and they lose their offerings they're all just shit what do we do now mm-hmm. and then the masters are revealed as motherfucking dragons so cool yeah so cool they circle Aang and Zuko dangerously and you know they're like well what the fuck do we do now but then 
Aang suggests that they do the dancing dragon move from the temple. And they do it. And we find out that the dancing dragon actually imitates the movements of the dragons, which yeah. is super cool seeing like the two different dragons, like Aang, like the way that they move, like how they imitated the dragon and like the dragon behind each character. Like, oh, so cool. So yeah. cool. Yeah, I, re- I really love just how everything is like animated and like the wind and the music and everything. It's like, it's beautiful. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And then the time of judgment comes and the two dragons breathe fire around them surrounding them with all of these beautiful colors that you would not expect from fire. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen the blue fire, we've seen the orange and red, but we see like purple and green and all of these beautiful colors surrounding them. And I mean, honestly, when I think of like the best visuals from the show, this is one of them. Definitely, definitely. Just like the shots of Aang and Zuko looking up, the winds blowing through Zuko's hair and Mm -hmm. like the colors surrounding them. Just absolutely gorgeous. And they then return, much to the disappointment of some of the Sun Warriors who were actively hoping that they would die. <laughs> the chief then tells them that the dragon showed them the true meaning of firebending. It's then revealed that Iroh lied about killing the last dragon. But he also received judgment from the masters and received the same visions that Aang and Zuko did about the true, you know, true understanding of firebending. Aang realizes that firebending is energy and life, not just destruction. Mm-hmm. And Zuko realizes that he lost his inner fire because he lost his drive. And they both demonstrate firebending together. He has a new purpose, a new drive. And they both demonstrate bursts of fire together, which amazing. We just love it when it all comes together neatly yeah. like this. Uh, the, sun, the, the leader of the Sun Warriors then proceeds to pull the, you know too much, we have to kill you, or in this case, in prison, because it's a kid's show. Yeah. And then pulls like a little, but it's even funny, he's like, just like, we'll have to imprison you forever. Just kidding. Like, just a little, like, just, just kidding. kidding boys. Yeah. <laughs> but then he immediately turns back to like, but seriously, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Amazing. Love it. I wonder and, how, um, I wonder how the Sun Warriors, like, you know, fare, like, in the years to come, like, do you think they might still be around at like on the around the time of Korra? Like, hmm. I wonder how long they they well, managed to keep going. Like, considering how much Zuko did to help change the Fire Nation, I think that they probably like he probably gave some sort of like protection, provided maybe some sort of protections for them. Interesting, you know, I don't know. Uh, and also, like a lot of the, it looks like just based off of what we see of them, it looks like a lot of the design for their culture is based off of, like, the Aztecs and the Mayans, you know, like, the. Mm-hmm. I hope I pronounced the names correct here, but, you know, South American indigenous people, mm-hmm. uh, Central and South American indigenous people who also worship the sun. So that was really cool to see that other influence as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they then rejoin the rest of the gang and the other kiddos and just demonstrate the dancing dragon moves and then gets teased by the rest of the kids. So I guess he really has become a part of the group now. Like <laughs> he's, he's like, it's not a dance. It's a firebending form. And they're like, what is and then it he's called? Like, well, what's, it, what's it called? That the, the dancing, dancing dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So awesome. And that's the end of the episode. It ends there with Zuko getting roasted by the rest of the group. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Love that. So he, he wasn't really he wasn't roasted by the dragons, but he is roasted by his friends. There you go. <laughs> and that ends the episode and this week's recap. Awesome. Well, we have no Azula Bells. Um, we're currently sitting at 47. Um, but let's move on to Phantom Corner. So our Phantom Corner comes from, and I'm going to probably butcher the username, but Alisoid. I'm so sorry if I fucked up your pronunciation of your <laughs> username, but they wrote to us. 
uh, on Instagram. It's been mentioned several times on the podcast and around the fandom how terrifying airbenders would be if they weren't so spiritual. In The Rise of Kiyoshi, however, it's mentioned that because Kiyoshi's mother had lived an immoral life, her bending was greatly weakened, hence her reliance on the fans. The airbending is tied to spirituality and morality. I think it's mentioned somewhere that all air nomads are born benders because they are deeply spiritual. So yes, airbenders could be great, capable of great harm, but maybe not considering acting against their morality weakens their bending. Now, what about Sahir? I think what makes Sahir so dangerous as an airbender is that he never acts in opposition to his morals, even when he's committing atrocities. He is shown to be a deeply spiritual person and truly believes that he is doing the right thing. There is no moral conflict for taking life from him. for him. Now, this could open a conversation about moral relativism and how airbenders have such a do-no-harm moral code because their bending has such terrifying potential. But I just think that the majority of people innately have a moral issue with the taking of life. Mm. Holy shit, this is a great one. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Yeah, this is really interesting. And yeah, I don't... I was I was thinking about like this here point, but I think they're right um, in saying that he was never at any point acting against his morals. And also, I don't know, like after the harmonic convergence gave people the power of airbending, there is that question of, does that make them air nomads? Like, does that make, does that make the people have to engage in air, air nomad culture and like subscribe to the, the theology and the morals well, of being remember, an airbender. Not every single one of the people that we that not every single one of the airbenders that they found when they were traveling joined them. There were plenty that turned them down. Yeah. You know but I, I mean? think yeah, I understand what you mean. But there there is that question at the at the beginning of season three of whether these people should or should not should not subscribe to the morals of, you know, airbenders. Um but I also think that I think we kind of also saw it in this episode with Zuko. I mean, like, because he's acting against what he thinks are his morals, it weakens his bending. So I don't know if this is a thing that technically applies to all the elements. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think it 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 does open an interesting conversation well, about... Well, we see how terrifyingly powerful, like, Hama is with her water bending and blood bending. And she doesn't think she's doing the wrong thing here. Exactly. But then, yeah, but then there's the question of, well, Zuko thought he was doing the right thing, too. So, like, what's... So, I don't know. I don't know how much of the morals play into the bending. I don't remember the thing about all no all air nomads are technically born benders. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either, but... I know for... I know that there are air nomads... Like, the air nomads in Korra, they're not benders, but they are air nomads. Because they subscribe to the spirituality of being right, nomad. Right. So it's like it raises the question, is airbending like a martial art or is it like a spiritual thing? Is it like more hmm. of a religion? You know, I think a lot of airbenders are probably on both sides of the spectrum. Hmm. Um, but again, there's just so much we don't know about the air nomads and airbenders, you know? But I do remember us when we were reading Rise of Kyoshi and we learned that leading an immoral life can weaken your bending we th- i remember us being like whoa like because I, I don't think we've ever heard anything like no. that um and it makes it does make sense with the air nomads because i also agreed that the do no harm moral code is because their bending is has such terrifying potential i like yeah. i definitely agree with that but i mean also the same could be said for all the elements i think all the elements are like probably equally dangerous just dangerous in different ways yeah. um so i don't know but the the question of the the balance of like 
usefulness and danger is present in all of all of the elements in both shows. Yeah, because as I mean, as this as we just saw in the, the the Masters episode, like firebending, yes, it's capable of great destruction, but it's also able, you know, it's about energy and life as well, you know. So yeah, yeah. like maybe not so much earthbending, but definitely fire, air, and water have both had their episodes like toiling with, you know, the the actual dangers and the morality of how the bending is used. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I, yeah, I definitely think that there's a link between morality and bending. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. that's a really interesting point to bring up. Thank you for sending this to us. Yeah. Thank you so much for sending that. Like yeah. that was awesome. This is a great discussion from it. Thank you. Definitely. All right, so what do we recommend this week? Uh, this week, I recommend everyone go see Eternals. Um, I loved it. I don't understand why <laughs> like a lot of people don't like it. Um, I will say it's a pretty divisive film just from the people that I saw it with. I went to see it with like two other people, and we all had very different takeaways and reactions to the film. So it's going to be divisive, but I personally loved it. Um, not just for like the representation, but I just loved it like as a film, as an MCU film. Chloe Zhao, like Chef's Kiss, like absolutely amazing. Loved it. So definitely go and check that out. Yeah, I'll definitely I definitely will. Absolutely. Well, mine is uh I just recently got HBO Max because I realized there was uh two subscriptions that I wasn't using anymore. So like, okay, great, I ruined my budget for HBO Max. So I got it now. Um, and I've just started scratching the surface of what HBO Max has to offer. And I started watching the Harley Quinn series, mm. uh, animated series on there, and I love it. I remember when it was first announced, I was a little kind of I was kind of nervous about it mm-hmm. uh personally, like just um you know, are they going to actually like, you know, unlike the movies so far with maybe a slight reference in Birds of Prey, if you look closely enough, you squint, uh, whether like where they're going to explore like Poison Ivy and Harley's relationship, romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that made me kind of nervous that they're going to like straight wash Harley Quinn. And they didn't. They didn't, guys. It's OK. <laughs> She's queer in the show. And like, it's funny and I really like it so far. I've only like a few episodes into season one, but I already recommend it because it's it's a great way to turn your brain off and actually enjoy some good Harley Quinn content. Mm-hmm. You know, Love that. it's you know it's it's it's. I mean, it was like it was like her Birds of Prey arc where she you know broke up with the Joker and has to strike out on her own. But it's taken in a different way than the movie takes it, mm-hmm. which that's fine by me. Two different. I guess like my favorite kind of story for Harley is just like exploring how amazing she is without the Joker. Like, mwah, delicious. Love that. Love that. <laughs> so cool. go check that out. And as always, if you'd like some extra Avatar hour in your life, you can subscribe to our exclusive Patreon for as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. And some of our benefits include access to our Google Docs, our schedule for the month, the ad-free Avatar Hour, and of course, our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a bonus episode that was from Halloween where we ranked uh, Avatar Halloween costumes and we got very critical. I mean, at least Andre sure as hell did. I thought that like... (laughs) Anyway, it's one of my favorites. We have some good ones on there of us exploring Avatar TikTok, reacting to Ranker articles, um, all that good stuff. So go check that out at our $5 level on Patreon. And we're going to have a new episode coming soon. Uh, We're going to react to um, 10 ideas Avatar Studios should do um so that's going to be really interesting so definitely check that out absolutely 
And of course, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Avatar Hour and at the Avatar Hour podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And you can submit your thoughts, your comments, your theories, your memes, all that good stuff to those platforms and as well as our email, which we will talk about in just a minute. And it's linked in our description for the episode. So go check that out. Yep. And if you want your voice to make a special appearance on the show, feel free to record your theories or any feedback about the show on the voice memo app on your phone and email them over to the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, this is an amazing episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you all next week. Until then, my name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Have a good week.